morning, church. And happy Sabbath. Every Monday, I play golf. Every Monday, I play golf. That day, I don't do no honeydews. I don't make any appointments. And if I'm out of town, I am back on Monday. Last Monday, you remember, it was really windy, windy, windy. You know how much wind it was? 25, 30, 40 miles an hour. Guess where I was? Playing golf. I let nothing stop me from playing golf, unless it's sickness or death. And every time I go to the golf course, I walk up to these friends of mine that I play with, and I say, it's a good day. Doesn't matter what. It's raining, snowing, or what? It's a good day. So I say to you, church, isn't it a good day to be in the sanctuary? sanctuary pure and holy tried and true with thanksgiving I'll be a living sanctuary for you it is you Lord came to save the heart and soul of every man. It is you, Lord, who knows my weakness, yet to give me strength with thine own hand. Lord, oh, prepare me, Lord, Sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true, with thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary for you. Lead me on, Lord, from temptation. Purify me within. And fill my heart with your Holy Spirit. And take away all of my sins. Lord, prepare me. To be your sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true, with thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary for you. Prepare me to be your sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true, with thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary for you. Hear me, Lord, to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true, 
with thanksgiving I'll be a living sanctuary for you Oh, prepare me, Lord Prepare me Prepare me to right and true with thanks to giving, I'll be a living sanctuary for you. With thanksgiving, a living sanctuary for you. Morning, church. I'm happy to be here today. Amen. I enjoy the music in this church and all the friends and fellowship that is here. Amen. But I do get a complex every time I come. That is because everybody seems to be able to sing except me. <laughs> now, when uh, my children were growing up, my wife paid me money not to sing in front of the children. She didn't want them to be off pitch the rest of their life. So I certainly enjoy the music, and the only reason I don't sing is because I can't. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, the Bible. We thank you for the revelation of your love and character through your son, Jesus. And we thank you for the continual guidance to us today through the Holy Spirit. And may the Trinity speak to us today as we study your word. We ask these favors in thy holy name. Amen. If I was to put a title on this sermon, I would call it The Final Test. Now, I understand what final tests are like. I've taken a lot of final tests, and I had to take some of them over again. But the problem with this final test is there's no do-overs. There's no second chance. And I'm going to tell you another thing. A B, C, D, or F won't cut it. The only thing that's going to count is an A. Now, to understand what I'm talking about, I'm talking about a judgment. Now, we have to be careful in the Bible when we talk about a judgment, and that is, there are three judgments. So let's kind of get a picture of those three judgments. The first judgment is the pre-advent judgment. Second judgment is the judgment taking place in heaven during the thousand years, when I hope we are all there. And the final judgment is the third judgment at the end of the thousand years when God judges the wicked. Today, I'm just going to be talking about the first judgment. And I'm going to be talking about you, the members of this church, in that first judgment. Now, I learned... Um, very emotionally about taking a final test. My wife uh, graduated from the School of Medicine and we had been married. When I proposed to her, she said, well, I gotta talk to my father and her father just had one question. Are you gonna pay her way through medical school? <laughs> when I said yes, he said, take her now. <laughs> now I'm really lucky I could tell that story because she's not here. She's on call working today in a hospital, so I can say that. But at the end of four years, you take a test. At the end of medical school, it's called national boards. What happens if you fail that final test after four years? Another year. 
one whole year to take it over. After that, she went to the University of California at UCLA, and she took six years to study for a PhD in biochemistry. And at the end of your PhD study, they give you a test. That's over six years of classwork. And in, in order to receive your degree, you have to pass that one test. Now, not only was she up every night before the test, but so was I. I began to understand emotionally what it meant to face a final test. And I wasn't even taking it. Now, I like to take tests if I can find someone to tell me the questions ahead of time. <laughs> I like it better if someone can tell me the answers ahead of time. <laughs> now, that's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to tell you the answer, the questions on the final test that each one of you are going to face, and then I'm also going to give you the answer. Now, just in case that you don't remember well, or like me, sometimes you get a little nap. My friend Grandma in the very back row that I sit beside, she nudges me when I get a little sleepy back there. <laughs> Keep me awake. But I'm telling you, this is not the thing to sleep through the final test. Not the thing to do. All right. Now, the second thing is so that you won't forget the answers and so you'll know what the questions are. In a few minutes, I'm going to have the deacons pass out a piece of paper to you that's got the questions and the answers on it. But we need to have a little quiz beforehand. When I first graduated from the seminary, the first thing I had to do was teach Bible at a Cedar Lake Academy in Michigan. Now, the reason I went there was, well, previous year, they'd had four Bible teachers in one year. The students had caused them to resign. And the principal said, we want to have someone come to stay the whole year. And you're just out of the seminary and you're young enough, we're going to send you up there to teach Bible. So I thought, hey, don't sweat, I was in high school just four years ago myself. I remember so what I did is I went and found the biggest guy in the senior class and I slipped him 20 bucks. I said, now when I tell you to throw somebody out of class today, you throw him out of class. He looked at the $20 bill and he said, you're on, brother. <laughs> now I went into the classroom and I said from the front, now I'm here for the whole year. You guys ran the last four Bible teachers out, but you got it wrong. The question is not whether I'm going to be here all year. The question is whether you're going to be here all year. Now, what always happens is that some short guy who sits on the front row always has a big mouth. They're making up for being short by having a big mouth. And he kept talking, and he kept mouthing, and he would talk back, just like he did last year. Now, after a little while, I said to him, now, if you can't be quiet, and you can't quit mouthing off, you're going to have to leave this class. Now, what did he think? There was no way I was going to throw him out of that class. Now, he didn't know I already paid the guy 20 bucks. And so he mouthed off again, and I said to the big guy in the back, would you throw him out for me, please? It was dead science in there. It was quiet. And the guy stood up in the back and went up and picked up the little guy in the front and carried him out in the hall. I had no trouble the rest of the year. <laughs> the 
They didn't know how many $20 bills I had <laughs> or who I'd given them to. But I stayed the whole year, and so did they. The trouble was over. Now, in the Bible, God tells us that there's going to be a judgment time, and some people are going to be what? Thrown out. Is that right? Yeah. All right. And some people are going to stay the whole time in heaven. Now, in order for us to speak about this matter, there are some words that we need to know the definition of. So we're all talking about the same thing. First need we need, the thing we need to know, the definition of is rebellion or sin. What is sin? We need to be really careful. I'm going to have the guy in the back row throw you out. You give the wrong answer here. Or the pastor, one of the two. I'm going to give you a clue. It's not transgression of the law. Sin or rebellion is what? What is it? is something that separates us from God. What happened in the Garden of Eden? Eve sinned, and they were what? Put out of the garden, and the angel was put there. Sin separated them from God. Now, they didn't have the same law that we have today. They had God's eternal law, And without the knowledge of sin, there is what? Without the knowledge of the law, there is no what? Sin. So when we do something that we what? Know is wrong. That separates us from God. Well, then what is righteousness? It's getting closer. Getting closer, it's not right doing, it's a right relationship. So sin separates us from God and destroys our relationship with him, and righteousness does what? Draws us closer to God. So sin is anything that separates us from God and righteousness is anything that strengthens our relationship with God. Now, what is salvation or conversion? That is restoring us into a right relationship with God because in, in the Garden of Eden, what happened? The relationship between heaven and earth and God and man was what? broken. Jesus came to this earth to reconcile us back with God, to restore the relationship between God and the human race, to restore the relationship between God and you personally. And then what is, and we, what do we call, what's the big word we call that? Justification. Then the rest of our life, after we've been restored to our light relationship with God, we have to live in what? A right relationship with God. So justification is being restored into a right relationship with God through the saving acts of Jesus Christ on Calvary, where God and man are reconciled together through the death of Jesus Christ, and righteousness and righteous living is remaining in that right relationship. And everything that we do that strengthens that relationship is called righteousness. And everything that we do that weakens that relationship and causes it to finally end is called what? Sin. Now, those who, want, who are going to face the final judgment, the pre-advent judgment, are only who? Those who have ever what? 
claim to be in a right relationship. That's the pre-Advent judgment. We're going to come to the questions for the pre-Advent judgment in a minute. But right now, that's where they are. It's very important to know these questions, and it's very important to know the answers. So, I believe that the only place you can find answers to these questions is in the Bible. No other place. Not in the newspaper, not on television, not in the Library of Congress. The only place to look is in the Bible. So let's start out by looking in Isaiah 58. Okay, gentlemen, it's time to pass out those papers. I'm asking them to give one to each one of the adults. Now, the reason I give you this in writing is that all I have to do is say about half of these things, and you can either read the rest this afternoon when you go home. You don't have to take notes. You can listen to what I say and then read it when you get there. But the first text at the top of the page is Isaiah 58. I'm looking for the girl I know there with the yellow headband named Cupcake. Now, when I, it gets to be 1 o'clock, you stand up. Are you listening? When it comes to get to be 1 o'clock, all the children who are in the children's story can stand up. That'll tell me it's time to leave and we'll all go. <laughs> all right? Because what happens when the kids... When, when the kids start standing up and ready to go, then it's time to quit. Now I have about 35 minutes and I have a policy. If you can't reach oil in 20 minutes, quit boring. But we're going to go to 30 today, till 1 o'clock. All right, so let's get started. We're looking at Isaiah chapter 58. We're looking at the first 11 verses. And we're going to learn how to have our prayers answered and how to be right with God. All right? Now, I like the Israelites. They remind me of good conservative Adventists, Pastor. I'm serious. What do those people do? Let's look in verse 2. Would you like to have a church full of people like this? Here's what it says. They seek me daily. Wouldn't that be good? Number two, it says, they delight to know my ways. That should be the elkins and the deacons. What's next? They're like a church that what? Did righteousness. And they did not forsake the ordinances. And they ask of God justice. And they took delight in approaching God. How many want to say amen to that group? Careful, we've got to read the rest of the verses, Pastor, before we get here. Now, what did God say back to those people? Verse 3, Wherefore have we fasted, and they say, and thou seest us not? Wherefore have we afflicted our souls, and thou hast taken us no knowledge? What does God say back? Behold, in the day of your fast, ye find pleasure and exact all your laborers. Behold, ye fast for strife and debate, and smite with the fist of wickedness. Ye shall not fast this day as you do, to make your voice heard on high. And here I thought, I like fasting. You know why I like fasting? Because it's a religious reason to lose weight. I don't eat long enough, I feel holy and skinny at the same time. <laughs> but I read this text and what? It doesn't do it. Are we ready for verse 4? Or verse 5? Which one do you want to do? 5. Is it such a fast that I have chosen? A day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush? Is it spread sackcloth and ashes? Now, I like that. Sackcloth and ashes. Wilt thou call this a fast and acceptable the day of the Lord? Now, here is what the Lord asks us to do. It's really straight. Verse 5. 
Verse 6, is it not this the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, that she break every yoke. Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry, that thou bringest the poor that are cast out to thine own house, that thou seest the naked, that thou cover him, and that thou hide not themselves from thine own flesh? When well, the first time I read this, I started thinking about food. Well, I said, I better give some food to the Dorcas. First thing that came to mind, I looked in the closet, and I noticed there that my wife had bought six cans of tomatoes, and I can't stand canned tomatoes. What's the first thought of thing I was going to do? Take those cans of tomatoes I didn't like and give them to the Dorcas ladies. Now, the Lord blessed the Dorcas ladies. They were usually old, gray-haired, and came once a week and gave away food. And if I wanted something done in the church, I always went to the Dorcas ladies because they were faithful, hardworking ladies. The only problem with the Dorcas ladies was that people got hungry at other times on Thursday afternoon from 3 to 5. And the darkest society in Loma Linda was a long way from where the poor people were that were hungry were. But still, God bless the darkest ladies. Now, what I learned from this text was that I should not be taking what? The ones I don't like. I should take which ones? The ones I like. And we're not down to the end of that yet because it got bothered worse. It says that I should take my food, the one I like, and give it to the poor. Now, if I take my food and I give it to the poor and I don't have any, then I'm what? I'm fasting. I like your hat, brother. Remember I told you one one last night? You didn't give it to me. Doesn't he like that nice hat there? We could have one. Anyway, the way to fast is what? If you give your food away and you don't have any food, you're what? You're fasting. All right. Down here it says... Uh, that thou seest the naked, that thou cover him, thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh. What does that mean? That means I go in the closet and I get that shirt I don't like and that coat that's old with a hole in it and the pants that's got the shine in them and no good and too short. What do I do? Take it to my favorite darkest ladies and they give it away. Is that what this text is talking about? It's to take your good warm coat the warmest one in the closet and give it to somebody else. Now let me tell you how I learned this lesson, these two food and clothes lessons. Every year for 10 years on December 15 I loaded my family up and got on an airplane and flew to Moscow. Anybody ever been in the middle of Russia in the middle of winter? Well, I'm going to tell you, don't go in the wintertime. It was 30 degrees below zero every day for 30 days in a row. Now, some people live in Las Vegas to get used to the heat. And I hope, I think some of those people are going to get ready for hell, but they... Still getting ready for heat. But there is no such thing as global warming out in the middle of Russia. Those people are praying for global warming. Now, I had learned an experience by going there with my clothes in my suitcase that every time I came back from Russia, I didn't have any clothes in my suitcase because they all wanted my blue jeans because the Russians didn't have American blue jeans and they would beg you for your blue jeans. 
So what I would do with my wife is that we would go to orphanages. Now, in the area around the Seventh-day Adventist Theological Seminary where she and I were teaching classes for 30 days in the middle of the winter, I wish they'd had a summer program, but they didn't, we would then, after classes were over, would go out to visit orphanages. The first orphanage I went to on a Friday, now, Pastor, I should have had you with me, there were 150 kids in the orphanage, ages 6 to 14, and they were all naked. I said, hey, what's the matter with everybody here not wearing any clothes? They said, well, today is wash day, and we all have one shirt, wear a pant, one pair of pants, one pair of underwear, one pair of socks, and so today is wash day. So what do you do if you have one of everything and it has to be washed once a week? Well, I didn't learn the difference between boys and girls until I was 16, but those guys were learning it at about six. So the next Christmas I came back, what did I do? I brought 150 pairs of blue jeans, 150 shirts, 150 pairs of socks, 150 pairs of shorts, 150 t-shirts, and I gave everybody a what? Full set of clothes. And I went to the lady and I said, now show me the winter jackets. Oh, she said there's locked up and the guy that has the key isn't here today. I thought that lady's lying to me. So I, when she wasn't looking, I went over to the closet, opened it up. There was no coats. In October, those kids go inside that orphanage, and they never put their foot out the door until May. You guys can't go outside in 30 degrees below zero weather with no coats. Now I went down to the docks. I learned something about boats that stop in Russia, that things fall off those boats. And they fell right in my truck. <laughs> and for a dollar or two or three apiece, them U.S. dollars are good overseas, those coats would fall in my truck and I would carry them out and I gave everybody in the orphanage a coat. The last year we were visiting 30 or, oh, I, got, I forgot about food. So, I want to look at the food situation. Now, in the kitchen, there's 150 kids. In the kitchen, they had a big 50-gallon pot on the stove. They had about seven or eight carrots and one cabbage, three or four onions, one chicken. Now, all that went in the pot, and that was lunch. Now, he invited me to stay. I'm a vegetarian, and I saw him put that chicken in there. But I tried some of the soup. We sat at the table, and the lady put the bowls down the middle of the table and put a spoon beside them. And the kid on one side picked up the spoon and ate with the spoon for a while, put the spoon down, and the kid across the table picked up the spoon because they didn't have enough spoons for everybody. They didn't have enough bowls for everybody. So not only have to share that watery-down soup, but they didn't have enough bowls and spoons. So not only did I have to start bringing clothes to that orphanage, I had to start bringing what? Food and other things. At the 10th year, the youth group from Loma Linda that I was working with were taking food and clothes to 35 orphanages and 3,000 children. 
because if we didn't go, they didn't eat. And if we didn't go, they didn't have any clothes. Now I learned about all the youth group giving me their jeans and their shirts. To start out with, they gave us all the worst ones. But you know the kids over there loved them anyway. By the time we were done, everybody was giving us their best. And the kids were wearing good, warm jackets, wearing nice clothes, and they thought differently about themselves. And those youth learned a lesson. And my own kids learned a lesson. Because my daughter is a missionary in Malawi now. She's the only cardiologist in a country of 15 million people. So, I understand what it really means when it says give your food and your clothes as a part of remaining in a right relationship with God. Let's look at the rest of the text. Some of these things are a little harder than others. Let the oppressed go free, remove the chains that bind people. What's that referring to today? Addictions, smoking, drinking, taking drugs, pills, all manner of things. God says that's your job. I'm not talking about letting people out of slavery. I'm talking about people letting people out of slavery to sin and wickedness. That's the job. All right, let's look in the, another text in the Bible. Jesus is preaching. John is preaching. John makes a mistake. He tells the king, you shouldn't be sleeping with your brother's wife. The king throws John in prison. Now John's in prison all alone, and he's beginning to wonder. Jesus hasn't come to help me. Why doesn't he let me out? He's going to be the king. He's a miracle worker. He's left me all alone here in prison. I wonder if this Jesus is really the Messiah. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 and 3, or Luke chapter 7, 20 and 22. Those two verses are exactly the same. Matthew and Luke tell the same story. Now, when the disciples of John went to Jesus, they asked Jesus, Are you the Messiah? Are you the one who should come? Are you the fulfillment of the hope all the way from Abraham? Or shall we look for somebody else? What was Jesus' answer? You can read it in the text. It says... The blind see, the blame walk, the lepers are cured, the dead hear, and the deaf are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. That was the answer. And where did that quotation come from? Isaiah 58, the one we just read. Because Jesus said, I'm the fulfillment of that prophecy. Now, if you doubt that, that I'm wrong, let's turn to another text. Let's turn to, and we're, going to, we're out of sequence here. I guess it's my fault. We're going to turn to Luke 4, 18. Luke 4, 18. Now, most of us mess up these texts terribly. We always read Luke 4, 16. What's that text say? Anybody remember? What's Luke 4, 16 says? We say, we're going to prove the Sabbath keeping of Jesus there by saying that as his custom was, he what? Went to church. But what's the point of this text? The point of this text is what he said. Here's what he said. 
He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me. I am called, I am the Messiah because I preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovering the sight of the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And where is he quoting? Where did Jesus quote from? Isaiah. So when Jesus is asked, are you the Messiah? He quotes Isaiah, the text we started out with. When Jesus is asked, that's by John, when Jesus is asked by the people to read and he wants to tell everybody in Nazareth that he's the Messiah, what does he do? He reads the same text from Isaiah. Now when a rich young ruler, Matthew 19, 21, came to talk to Jesus. He said to Jesus, what must I do to be saved? And what did Jesus say? Keep the commandments. That's a good plan. Keep the commandments. And the rich young ruler said what? Oh, I've kept them all from my youth. No, I wish I could say that. But... I can't, and how many of you can? Anybody? Well, those who can raise their hand can disregard what I say next. If you didn't raise your hand, then you better listen. Jesus said back to him, if you would be perfect, and I'm going to translate that, if you would get the right answers on the final test, what does it say to do? Go, sell what you have, and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Uh, if you want to live in heaven in a really small house on a postage stamp size lot, or do you want to live in heaven with a big treasure and a big house in the center with all your friends? How do you send treasure to heaven in advance? Huh? By selling your stuff here and giving it to the poor. Well, the question is, are you going to be in the postage stamp lot on the corner, or are you going to have a nice house in the middle of the lot? Now, when my wife hears me talk, I say to her afterwards, well, sweetheart, just give me the money and I'll set it on ahead for you. <laughs> but she doesn't fall for that very often. Now, we have one more text to, to read here. Let's turn to Matthew 25. See, that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, chapter 25. Now we're down to the final test. Look at verse 34. 30, 31, 32. This is the sheep. Where are the kids? I didn't hear any baths out there. I said sheep. Okay. The Lord is going to divide everybody into the sheep and into the goats. On his right and on his left. And he's going to set his sheep on the right-hand side. And he's going to say to those sheep, Come ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom that you prepared for you. Prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Here we go. For I was hungry, and you gave me meat. You know what? I don't understand the Lord at all, Pastor, because I thought he should have st started out by asking, did you keep the Sabbath? The Lord doesn't know how to write the questions on the final test very good, because I could do better. What's the next one? I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I would have said, did you pay tithe? That's a better test, isn't it? Isn't it a better test or of fellowship if all your members are paying tithe or if they're giving away food, I mean, water to the thirsty, which is a better test? 
Paid tithe, the man says. He must be the treasurer of this church. Where is she? I, I know where she is. She sits over here all the time, right there. What's the next one? I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I'd rather have someone that comes to church every Sabbath. I was in prison and you visited and came unto me. And then the righteous shall say, When saw thee we hunger and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took you in, or naked and clothed you? Or when we saw thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto the least of these my brethren, you have done it unto me. What's the test? Questions on the final test of the judgment. I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you clothed me. Now, what's the answer to the final test? Yes, we did. We saw hungry people, and we gave them food. We saw thirsty people, and we gave them drink. We saw people in prison, and we visited them. Now, those are the questions, and those are the answers on the final test. give you the confirmation for that. Let's look over here to John chapter 13 verse 34. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John chapter 13. I like reading this text to those people who try to tell me that sinless profession is the way I'm going to get to heaven. Verse 34, this is Jesus speaking now. He's saying, I'm going to tell you how no the Christians are going to be saved. He says, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also should love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if you have love one to another. The test of discipleship is what? Love. Not law keeping. Now the law is important for what reason? Because I don't know how to love. I don't know what sin is. What does the law and the Holy Spirit do for me? Let me know what sin is. I might think shooting somebody is good. But God has straightened that out for me already. So it's by the knowledge I get the knowledge of sin. It's by the law that I understand what strengthens and weakens my relationship with God. But it's the relationship I have with God that saves me, not law keeping that saves me. All right? Now, as an individual, we can't sweep back the ocean. As an individual, we can't change the moon or the sun. It's very difficult for us to change very many things in our lives. But the first step in changing is understanding what the requirements are. Now that's why I, w I wanted to read to you the requirements. The requirements for salvation. The requirements for hearing, well done, thy good and faithful student, student is found in Matthew 25. Now what can the church do? Well, I'll tell you, Pastor, the first thing I would do, I would get a big room. And I'd put a label on that room you can look on the seventh page of this brochure I passed you out and you'll see where we're going. Page number seven. And above that I would write food room. 
And I would ask everybody in this church to fill up that room with food. All the food they don't like at home. No, no. All their favorite food. So that those who are the Bible workers of this church, so that those who are the elders and deacons of this church would have a big supply of good food to pass out to everybody they meet that needs it. Now, if you think you couldn't have a church and get away without doing that, you better read this text again. And next to that room, there better be another room that has what written on it? Clothes. And we need to go home and find our nice warm jackets and our nice jeans. Brother Pastor, buy yourself a pair of jeans. He tells me he doesn't have any jeans. Canadian boys don't wear jeans. California guys always wear jeans. All right? And fill that room with nice, warm, beautiful clothes, the best you have at home. So that the call porters and the Bible workers and the pastors and the elders and deacons of this church have a big supply where? At this church. From you. Now, I don't like kissing my wife by proxy. What does that mean? I write her a letter and I put them X's and O's at the bottom. Now, the same thing is true of missionary work. Giving it to the deacons and the deacons giving it away is what? By proxy. Not only do we all have to bring the clothes and the food, but what? We need to participate in giving it away because it's not good enough just to take it and let somebody else do it. We receive the blessing when we do it too. Now we better turn to page 7 and look at the rest of these things. Where's that nice chart with the picture of a room? You know, I can't find it in here because I don't think the church has got one yet. So what do we need to have? Look at the top right-hand corner, a bookstore. We need to have a bookstore here. We need to have some call porters, and we need to have some Bible workers, and we need to have a full bookstore of religious books and music so that we can provide the people that we're giving Bible studies to and the member of this church with religious reading material because the newspaper and the TV isn't always uplifting. And I've learned that if you take something away from everybody without giving them something to replace it, you're what? Compliance is way low. Now, I know some of the brothers are going to like the next part. We need to have a health food store and not going to be any turkey in it. We need to have a health food store here for two reasons. One is to store up the food, and the other is to teach people how to live and eat healthfully. Now, in that play where it says health education, that's stop smoking clinics, that's weight control, that's stress relief, that's heart rehab, that's diabetes control. Those are relieving people from the bad habits that are binding and tying them down into slavery to sin. And we need to have a place where they can what? Be freed. Isn't that what the text says we're supposed to be doing? Christ spent more time healing than he did what? Preaching. You hear that, brother pastor? At least equal time would be good. We need to have a health education place. Down here in the bottom right-hand corner, 
I know there's a lawyer in the church, but I can't see her right this second. Someone's pointing. I, I can see you over there, but I can't see where. There she is over here. Okay. We need to have a legal aid clinic here. People have problems that are bigger themselves. They need God's help, and they need your help to solve those problems. There are people in this church that have family problems that need help with the relationships between husbands and wives and children. They need to have a legal aid clinic where they can come to this church and receive the assistance and care to free themselves from bad relationships and help them get into good relationships. Well, it's one o'clock. I don't see any kids standing yet, but I can see the clock from up here. And that's the reason I wrote this out and gave it to you, because I knew we weren't going to get through it all, but I wanted you to have it all anyway. And I want to finish with one story. One of the points is, in order to accomplish this work, the first principle is going to where the people are. That's the very first principle, the very first step. Now, my wife and I were living in Loma Linda. She was a junior medical student, and I'd been at the Campus Hill Church as pastor for a number of years. And the conference came along and gave us all missionary territory, but even though I had a large church, I was the youngest pastor. And all of the older pastors got to choose first. Divided up San Bernardino and Loma Linda and Redlands area into missionary districts, and they gave me the one up Waterman Avenue. That was down in the neighborhood. That was where all the poor people lived. And I had a nice house in Loma Linda, and I sold that house. And I paid a lot of money for the next house, $5,000. That was a good investment. I doubled my money <laughs> in five years. And my wife and I and our oldest son moved into that house. And I know what it's like to be the only white guy in the neighborhood, because that was me. And we started with the children, just like this summer. By the end of the second summer, we were having 400 children every day all summer. Now, I know the school principal loves to hear this story because at the end of three years, we put 125 kids into church school. Starts by going to where the people are. Now, I was reminded last night when we went out visiting on first Friday night, pastor gets me into bad habits. <laughs> and um, I was just in my first church after I'd been teaching Bible for a couple of years. Went to Grand Rapids, Michigan, which was about, I don't know, 40 or 50 miles from Andrews University. And they had a big night scene in Grand Rapids. So I decided I was going to go down to the night scene. Now, I was a little more conservative in those years. So I put on a priest collar. the little white band, you know. That's so everybody know that I was down there for pastoral reasons. And I kind of thought I'd be kind of all alone down there. But did I get a surprise? Two o'clock one morning, 
there was the principal of the school. By the time I was done the first month, there were 50 kids from Andrews University I found there in the middle of the night. 